and welcome everybody to another episode of Dicing with Design. Uh, I'm Grant, I'm joined by Joe. Hello. And by Colin. Hello, folks. Okay, today we're aiming to talk about uh, Joe's forthcoming game uh, in testing uh, Swords of the Skull Takers, a solo adventure game, uh, role-playing. Also, later today, we'll be talking about player numbers. But before we do that... Uh, before we do that, we've got uh, updates on what we've been playing, guys. We should come up with a snappy title for that, but it's what we've been playing instead. Yeah, but everybody's um, stolen all the good ones. It's like Geeky Week and uh, all that kind of stuff. No, there's no good ones left. Oh, I'm sure we can think of something. We'll have to something funny. Yeah. Anyway, Colin, we missed one off of our uh, the last time we did this. We were talking about Christmas gaming. Uh, we missed one out. Oh yeah, which one? Um, well, remember you came round for a rare chance to play a uh, rare chance to play in-depth tactical games uh, when you came round to my parents' place at Christmas. Yep. Uh, and you wound up playing uh, the a Lego game Lego. with my uh, <laughs> niece and nephew. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was that was good fun. I enjoyed that. It was uh, what, so. What was the game called again? Temples of the Lego or something? Ramses Pyramid. Yeah, <laughs> I do you know. I actually really liked it. It was uh, well. Firstly, I was surprised that your four-year-old nephew could actually play a game. The fact that he could remember rules and actually think about not a strategy exactly, but he was definitely playing it to win. Like he wanted to win. Yeah, which is well, quite cool. Some uh, it basically comes down to a memory game, and he's played memory games before. You know, he yes. does, he wouldn't have been able to move move his little man around that well uh, by himself. But he can count, yeah. you know, he can count count up the numbers. He rolls yeah. the dice. We tell him what to do with wee man, and then we say, "Do you remember where this one was? Where yes. this color of crystal was?" So he could play. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, that, I think that's what I liked about it, though, because it was one of those rare games where it's got a bit of skill in it, uh, which is quite obvious, as in the skill being memory. I mean, it's just remembering where stuff is, but it was also moving stuff around, wasn't it? So you're you're shifting the pyramid around level by level, so you can move the little coloured things, which you have to. You're supposed to remember where they are, but you mm-hmm. can move it, and if somebody else isn't really paying attention, they lose what it is, or you know, you've got to try and remember where everything's moving to. So it was, it's one of those. It was a really simple game, but actually had quite a bit of skill applied to it as well. It was really cool. Oh, that sounds good. Sounds like fun. I, I played one of the Lego games, the uh, I think it was the Minotaur one, yeah, with the labyrinth and stuff, and that that was quite good. That, that worked pretty well. You could see how kids would get it, but it does have a bit of bit of skill at the uh, other end as well. Yeah. So you yeah. still you're playing a game. It's not. It's not. I've tried to play um, snakes and ladders with. Uh, Kids oh, before. Painful, <laughs> isn't it? it really is. I'm not doing anything. No. <laughs> play my turn for me. In fact, play my entire game for me. It's fine. <laughs> Same thing will probably happen. Cool. Yeah, but no, it was good fun. Uh, yeah, I have you played that much with Grant and uh, sorry, um, Gemma and Max? Jenna, yeah. Jenna, yeah. And they both, I mean, well, yeah, Max was obviously getting it, so yeah, that was good. Yeah, I think that's the first time I've played with him, actually. Might be. Yeah, so uh, he's four, so that's quite uh, quite impressive. So good on Reiner Knizia, he's got his name on that. Oh, was that the designer? The master, yes. Yeah, he's done one or two things. Yeah. 
Um, cool. Uh, so, what else have we played recently? Uh, I, Warpack. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Just saying, we got a game of Warpack in, didn't we, Grant, with uh, some of the latest alterations? Yes, actually. Um, yeah, I, I tried to... My, I designed my list around breaking the game... Uh, and then, unfortunately, yeah. completely decide to change the to change the battle plan halfway through, and it was horrible. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. You built your silly gimmicky list to try and break my system, but it was inherently weak and flawed, so I smashed you. <laughs> it's one way of describing the game. <laughs> but you did shoot yourself in the foot slightly by, yeah, designing it to have all these weak reserve units that would just supply you with extra cards and then forgetting about that and putting them on the front line where I could <laughs> kill them all. <laughs> yeah. I'd sort Surely of used them to... not. <laughs> Changing his plan through halfway through the game <laughs> forgetting what his plan was in the first place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was fun. And, uh, yeah, it was good to uh, good to get a game in and that. Although I wasn't I wasn't quite sure of some of your models. Well, one of your models, which wasn't. From <laughs> <laughs> the army giant. <laughs> in the early learning center. <laughs> oh, that sounds like he's a legend. Models. Yeah, I'll have to get a photo of him upon the uh, Dyson Design <laughs> Google page. But, yeah, I put up, I put up on my um. He is quite quite special. <laughs> <laughs> Never again. I'm not playing this that thing. <laughs> you again. couldn't even kill him. <laughs> you couldn't take him down. He had like two wounds left at the end of the game or something. He was there. <laughs> yeah, a couple of bits were close though, and uh, that's yeah. what I like. Yeah. Uh, that sounds like my new uh, dwarf army. I'm gonna have all these uh, Lego gyrocopters and stuff like that. <laughs> hey, you're not going to Warhammer World then? No, no, no. <laughs> Why would I go there? Do you... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, in terms of the game design, it's quite interesting in that I didn't have... Uh, it looks like you really have to, unless you have a special plan in mind, you really have to go with a completely mixed arm, mixed arms uh, uh, list you want to have in, in the way that the card system works where you have trumps for uh, ranged and magic. Uh, I had no ranged attacks, and I think yeah. that hurt me a bit. Because I had nothing to do with my, uh, with my well, my my ranged cards, my clubs, and I had one. Would have liked to have done more with my general, but my general was the only model that had magic. So he had to every time a diamonds came up for magic, I had to sort of spend it on him. You didn't uh, have to. Well, it was it was more the most effective thing to do with it yeah, was was true. spend it on him. So he's turned it. He just turned into my artillery, really, um, and. Not a hugely effective one. So it looks like um, go, going mixed out. Uh, some kind of mixed ones. Yeah. Yeah, to at least make sure you've got uh, all the bases covered. So you have got some some range weaponry and some magic attacks. Um, but it's pretty much, but pretty much every faction does have access to them. So it's just uh, bearing that in mind. And. I think you can get, you probably can get by skewing it one way or another. Like we both just had the one spellcaster, didn't we? Which yeah um, worked okay, but like you say, yeah, it's, it's sometimes feels suboptimal if you've got some high high magic cards and no one to to use them on at that point. Mm. Um, okay. Um, so also, uh, we've been playing a fair bit of Ticket to Ride Call. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, did I tell you about the the actual version, the proper game? Um, I think la- yeah, you definitely told me. I think last time on the podcast we were talking about uh, had we got the digital game I by don't then? I think so, actually. Or had we? I can't remember. Anyway, yeah, we so we bought we both got the iPod or the mobile versions. We're playing that. Uh, I quite enjoy it actually. It's good fun when you're playing. Well, especially the fact you can play at a distance, so we can play in different towns, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Kate and I were actually playing it uh, pass and play as well. It works all right, just as uh, sitting in the couch game. So yeah, it's quite nice. But I have to admit, the board game, the actual real live one, is much more fun. Just because it's one of those, you know, when you've got a board game and you're playing it at a distance, or you're playing pass and play, and you just can't see what the other person's doing, so you've got nothing to do in between, or when it's their turn. So it's kind of you feel a bit disinvolved, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. But when you're, I don't know. Anyway, yeah, been able to see Kate playing around and placing trains, and you know, there's the kind of taking over each other's desired lines. So you can sort of shout and swear at somebody when they put some train <laughs> down on the line that you really want. Whereas the other way, like pass and play or whatever, you have to actually, well, you have to wait until they actually look at the screen. So yeah, it just adds that bit of interaction that makes games fun to play with other people. Um, plus, you get loads of little plastic trains, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Special edition coming out with the, where all the trains are actually different as well. Uh, oh, they really? actually they look more like the their equivalent on the cards. All right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, it's it's a really good game. I really enjoy it. It's really quick, um, and it's uh, yeah, there's a lot to it as well. So yeah, it's really cool. Okay. Um, I'll go with another one just now. Uh, because I think I might have played a Game of Thrones uh, living card game for the last time. <laughs> the last time? All right, okay. I think so. Uh, just because it doesn't really fit into my into my gaming life, uh, it, it, I bought it as maybe as sort of some sort of quick game, and I just can't. The frequency with it should play the thing. Uh, just the base set and a couple of expansions. I can't get a game in under an hour. And uh, it's kind of a sort of crucial limit. I was, I was sitting playing, sitting playing for an hour and a half with my brother at the airport when I went down to uh, London, and um, yeah, we we couldn't get the game finished, which is just eminently frustrating. So I think I'm gonna I'm gonna think I'm gonna sell my sell my cards. Uh, but upcoming is Reiner Knizia's uh, Game of Thrones intrigue card game. <laughs> So Which, is this different uh, from the collectible card game? Yeah. Uh, so it looks like it's a standalone card game right. Uh, right, written by the man himself. So uh, I think worth a look. Mm, yeah, that's one to keep an eye on, yeah. Because remember you're saying, Joe, if, if you were to design a game like that, that you maybe would have more intrigue in it, more of the things that actually happen in Game of Thrones where uh, taking... Yeah. Hostages or, or wards is, is important, and uh, taking someone as a uh, taking you know the eldest son of another house as your uh, into your into your care uh, it is a big political move. And we, like that. I I can't remember ever actually playing that original game with the full rules. We always played it as far as I remember without you know the kind of little extra. Guys, the little counters. Oh, you have your roles being like the hand of the king or whatever. Yes, that's it, exactly. Yeah, I never actually played it with that, and it still took like an hour to two hours to play. <laughs> um, I, I always thought those were ways of speeding up the game uh, because it gave you big adva- big advantages over people for one turn. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. But it just it slowed it down. Really? 
Yeah, be, uh, I think I played one game with you, Joe, and, and, and Dan, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that it, did, it was just another decision to make before you start the before you start your turn. Yeah. You have to yeah. Card. You have to then decide which which of the titles you're going to take and look at what powers it's going to give you. Like I said, I mean, if I played it every week or every other week, I'd I'd be able to get a game in 45 minutes. But it's one that I play is filler every, every once in a while. It really doesn't work as filler. So um, yeah, it, it goes. I think. <laughs> yeah, adding more choice to anything is never a uh, never quickens something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. Oh well, I'd, I've enjoyed a couple of games of it, but yeah, I don't think I'll be sorry to never play again. It's a bit too heavy. Just yeah. a bit too heavy. Yeah. Aye. If if we're gonna play a Might super big, well, uh, that's yeah. what I was gonna say. <laughs> if you're gonna play a yeah. super big card game, I'm gonna play L five R instead. <laughs> Some more news, um, or things I've been noticing. Chaos Reborn Kickstarter <laughs> is uh, is up now. Yeah, but have, is, it, is it ruined? I looked at this, I thought that is a great idea, because I loved the original game and never got to play it with anyone else, just by myself. But then it just kind of looks like he's turned it into like a Diablo type of game, which not necessarily anything wrong with that, but... I don't know. I liked the one square. You couldn't go anywhere. It was just a box, and that was it. I should say this is the this is the '80s computer game uh, making a comeback. Yes. Sorry. People, pl- Intro. people played it. Yeah. Well, I, I stopped talking, so you filled the void. Um, <laughs> it was mostly played as it was a it was on the cover tape. Came free with a magazine, but it seems everyone who had a Spectrum had a copy of this, bought that magazine, and got that tape, and it yeah. was. A brilliant game where you, uh, and this might sound familiar to people, played uh, wizards who summoned monsters to fight each other, <laughs> but yes. on a board and not with cards. So, sort of, this is long before Magic: The Gathering. Yeah, long before. Indeed, yeah. I, I never actually played the original Chaos. I have to say, even though my, my friend has a ZX Spectrum, but I didn't. But I did play Lords of Chaos, the follow-up to it. I, I think that you played it. In the I think you played it briefly when I had a Spectrum emulator for my PC, and you didn't like it. No, I didn't have the nostalgia because I hadn't played it. So yeah, well, I mean, it, it yeah, no doubt it'd be shit now, but um, yeah, it was just really cool at the time. But anyway, I, I would say definitely check that out. Um, by by the same designer as uh, yeah, the original XCOM designer. He wasn't involved in the uh, the the modern XCOM, but. Uh, um, yeah, I think well worth well worth a look that one. Um, the, I don't think they're quite making enough of the fact that the what you're seeing on these on these actual play videos that none of that is the the final product. That's all kind of a mock up. Uh, ah, right. I didn't complain about the graphics. So yeah, I mean the yeah, graphics make that more obvious. Yeah. yeah, they will look like that, but they will look better. Uh, they're they're kind of just placeholders just now, as I understand. But they're but you have to kind of search to find that out. But um, yeah, there's lots of the, you can see how it plays uh, on the website. It's weird. I look at a Kickstarter. I don't recognise any of the podcasts that that uh, that he's speaking to because it's not a it's not a tabletop. It's not a tabletop yeah. podcast. <laughs> so it's like, well, who, who's this? Who's that? Because it's all about digi- it's all digital uh, digital shows and digital websites. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you reckon we can try and get Julian Gollop on? Talk to us about the design. I reckon of we can games. try. <laughs> they talk to anyone when they're on Kickstarters, don't they? <laughs> That's what we're hoping. 
Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> well, I think he's up to fifty percent. He's had his first two weekends, so uh, I think I think he'll get there. Hmm. Good luck to him. I'm giving him. I'm giving him my money because he's. Like I said, I got, I got that one game free off him. I don't think I've ever get, <laughs> given him anything else. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, whatever, know, whatever you know, he's selling, thing, take my money. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing that I, is putting me off, um, putting money into it, is uh, the fact that it doesn't. I don't think I'm just looking at it, which is why I'm talking slightly slowly. But I don't think it's on mobile. It's just on desktops, isn't it? Um, currently, said there were vague plans to get it on on mobile. But he's talking about getting on Linux and stuff, so I think he's, make, he's, he's designing it to be portable. Yeah, yeah. By which I mean portable between uh, machines. Yeah, aye. Because, yeah, I suppose aye, if he's making it that op- open, then somebody's going to repurpose it. But it's just, mm-hmm. I, I just can't sit in front of the PC and play games anymore. It's just, I do it all day for like eight to ten hours. I'll, I'll happily sit on my couch with the uh, Cape Simon or something and play something on my iPad, but I just can't sit in front of the PC and do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. If he sticks it. I don't know. I, what do you think, though, of that, like I said before, Joe, uh, Grant, about it just doesn't look like, I mean, it's going to have the same characters and a very kind of vaguely similar mechanic, but it just looks like a Diablo game to me. Um, no, well, it's going to be turn-based. I think it's still hex-based, isn't it? Turn-based. Well, hex instead of squares. Yeah. Uh, it's slightly 3D where you're working on different levels. Right. Okay. Um. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Sorry. I'll reserve judgment. <laughs> yeah. View then review. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Cool. Okay. So I think certainly for me, the other games I played were. Um, uh, ones that are coming up in the main topic. So, uh, anything else, guys? Main topic. Um, I had a game of, of Warhammer with Pete. All right. Which was good fun. Actually, I don't know. Did you? I think I did. I tweet my picture, or maybe I just emailed my picture of my gigantic goblin horde. Oh yeah. Take against him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just fielded like two hundred goblins. A crazy two thousand point list to take on his knights. And stuff. So well, we had quite good fun. It was a good game. It was quite close in the end, and it came down to my unit of ninety-seven goblins. Seven of them survived the battle, denying all their points. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I see that type of tactic. Eh? <laughs> that type of tactic. I lost fifty in one turn to dwellers below. One <laughs> 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 magic face. And then and Pete also miscast and then killed about ten of his own great swords. So that was one of the most devastating spells I've seen cast in it. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> Oh well. So it was it was quite fun. It was it was um quite good to take a, a different like more fluffy list, I suppose. It was just pure goblins and had some nice squig hoppers and mangler squigs, which uh, Pete dealt with very well and lots of fanatics. Um but I suppose towards the end I was kind of thinking which is quite good in a way, that like, this would probably be more fun if I was playing it in Warpack because I'm just kind of stuck into casting everything up near my near my general and my battle standard near my banners and just hoping I've got enough ranks to grind out combats. Whereas I was thinking like if, if it was playing Warpack at least all my units would be able to do something. Mm-hmm. Would have some sort of role. Yeah. Whereas it's it's um 
and then when you're fighting a, an army that's 90% one plus armor saves, it is very. They've brought a lot of rock, so if you haven't brought enough paper, you're in trouble. <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, I don't like that about, about games when, and I've heard people who like, I've heard 40k players say, oh, I don't want, I don't want 40k to go the way of fantasy where any team can beat any 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 army can beat any other army. I think that's. Oh, that's that's well, that's an awful thing. Like the fact <laughs> that you want, you want to be able to turn up to the table, you want to be able to meta the game before we even start. Yeah, that's what? Fun. <laughs> and that seems to be the way of uh, me fantasy is going. So, uh, a, a wee bit at least. But um, yeah, yeah, you, you want to be able to play a game, not turn up and think and smugly, smugly think oh, I've already won, or even worse, <laughs> turn up and go, no, I've, I've lost. Yeah, <laughs> I'll just push these around for a bit. Yeah, you need right. to roll your dice again to turn turn one before you decide that day, Grant, that you've already lost. Okay, uh, so um, should we talk about Pumpkin Bomb? We had our, our uh, monthly gaming meetup, monthly midweek meetup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could. I'm looking forward to hearing some feedback and thoughts on that. So, Pumpkin Bomb is uh, another game that I wrote a, a while ago, a good few years ago. Um, it was for like a, a games design competition online, and the theme was was. Um, the theme was Stacy's monster. That was the two words I was working from. So I went with for Gwen Stacy, who's like Spider-Man's first girlfriend, who's killed by the Green Goblin in the 60s. Something, and that led me to the idea of doing a superhero game where half the players play heroes and half play villains, but it's all about this one connection that the heroes got to. Um, a non-superpowered person that they care about and that they're, they're trying to defend and protect whilst the, the villain is threatening them either directly or indirectly and then how that plays out across the, the society that the heroes and villains live in. <laughs> and we came up with some crazy heroes and villains. <laughs> what was yours again, Grant? You were... Oh, I think mine was Commander Cactus. <laughs> <laughs> Which isn't Avenger. Yeah. He's a lot <laughs> like a Toxic Avenger. <laughs> so yeah, our game was based in the desert, wasn't it? It was kind of a Las Vegas style of place. Uh, but I think it was Texas. No, it was it Texas. Was because it your character was, yeah. Yeah, it was Dallas. I mean, in fact, Fine. we called it something else, didn't we? Yeah. It? It, was, it was essentially Dallas with a different. Yeah. Houstonopolis or something like that. Yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember the name of my guy. J.R. Schumann. <laughs> that was it, yeah. Oh. Seems to be a theme with my terrible characters. Just some, yeah. Not even a subtle uh, ripoff. But... <laughs> Go whole, whole hog, yeah. yeah. But yeah, so he, uh, J.R. Chewin, his uh, special power was he had an affinity with water, so or liquids it was actually. So this is what made him uh, such a good oil magnate because he could sense oil and he could bring it to the surface and all that kind of stuff. So he'd basically become an oil baron uh, in the uh, the wonderful city of Houstonopolis. 
but um, he could manipulate any kind of liquids. Uh, yeah, but yeah, essentially, uh, J.R. Ewan crossed with uh, Magne Magneto. So yeah, <laughs> nothing too imaginative, but I enjoyed yeah. it. it but he had a mullet and drove a pink jeep, though, didn't he? Yes, yeah, he was a bit. He was a bit kind of. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Not gay exactly, but <laughs> it was a bit. It was certainly a bit flamboyant. It was very eighties, wasn't it? It was set in the eighties as well, wasn't it? Yeah. That. It was like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, my my character was a a cactus who awoke from the de desert uh, after being cursed by his uh by be by his uh, Native American tribe to uh, live in the desert, but uh, he found the natural order of the desert being um upset. <laughs> and so took to the city to find uh, to find uh, what was going on and fell in love with the fell in love with uh, what the heck was her name Miss <laughs> Miss Houstonopolis <laughs> Miss Houstonopolis <laughs> how could you yeah. forget Wilhelmina Fudge oh, the beautiful yeah. I think and I've I've moaned about when other people have done this with uh, with um. Uh, with this sort of game and gone a bit too comedy and I, I kind of did it right from the start <laughs> set the tone quite badly <laughs> I don't, yeah I suppose we always end up doing it more comedy than serious though it's just more fun <laughs> maybe more sort of yeah I don't know more what we're like yeah I mean there's the scope to do the gritty dark knight kind of superhero with yeah. it but I just, I don't think you should take superheroes too too seriously. Yeah. My favourite Batman still 60s Batman. Adam West Batman. That's the true Batman. Batman. <laughs> that's, proper, that's proper Batman. <laughs> Pure <laughs> West. Pure West. <laughs> he only drinks milk. Yeah. I, the, it's, I, can't, I was trying to remember when you first said Pumpkin Bomb there, I was just trying to think back to the, uh, the mechanics and stuff, because I remember having some um, feedback, which I wish I'd written down at the time. It always happens to me. Um, there were a couple of things. like I really enjoyed the session. I did enjoy it. Uh, there were a couple of little things that I thought, oh, that was it. That, the main thing that I found with it was, or the main drawback I found with the system was that I found that we were kind of struggling to bring our characters together almost. Like there was kind of, I don't know what it was that I was struggling with in terms of like trying to find basically a conflict between me and Grant because we were the two main characters, obviously. Um, is there something in the game that I just missed that is supposed to start that? Joke? Yeah, well, it's supposed to be Wilhelmina Fudge. She's uh -huh. supposed to be like the focal point, like right. the person you're you're threatening. Yes. Grant is trying to protect and defend. Okay. And then on the back of that, it's supposed to be like you're trying to, you know, yeah, sow disorder and um, defeat the force of justice, yeah. whereas yeah, the yeah. superheroes are supposed to be protecting that. Yeah. So the heroes all have uh, their kind of connection who is, yeah. who for Grant, was Willie Mina Fudge. Yeah, and that, that was the point, actually. Yeah, she probably didn't come into the game as much as she maybe should have done or I would have expected to and stuff. I think you had like you had you were coming up with other stuff and had other things going on. Yeah. Which was quite quite interesting, but it was a while before I think you finally but she she did though, and it was in the yeah. story in a big way and you kidnapped her and, and took her to the underwater No, you didn't even kidnap you were you kidnapped her but made her think that you'd rescued her. Well, married her first. Yeah. Like, yes, you married her and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I think it, once that start happened it did get going a bit more. I suppose it was a yeah. bit slow before that with your like um, nefarious 
flooding plans. Yeah, yeah all that nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> it was the first it's still entertaining. It was, we're thinking this, this bastard bring water to the desert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. What's this guy ever done for us except for irrigation and agriculture uh, <laughs> <laughs> and wealth? But apart from that, what's he done for us? That was it. it was like a twist because at the start of the game, it was almost like Colin's guy was being heroic and doing good things, and Grant's was like a, a hated freak. Who, <laughs> yeah. Like the yeah. Avenger, you know, no one liked him, and they just didn't know why this old ball was here. And he yeah. make himself particularly likable in his first few scenes that he failed. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think that's what it was actually. I think that was a big thing because I ended up trying to um, be the goodie with Millimeter Fudge because essentially Grant wasn't really doing anything with her. He kind of like Grant. I don't know what your plans were with first meeting Millimeter Fudge or whatever, but it just kind of yeah, you were the monster. You were scaring her and stuff like that. So. Oh, it's because it's failing. <laughs> all right. <laughs> doors. Remember, well, you know, you're winning all the scenes. As as the as the you know as the force of my adversity. Did uh, you have a, did you have a couple of scenes where you tried you know the solo scenes where you tried to connect with her as well and they failed? Was that the case? Um, I think the first one was when uh, I can't actually remember. Uh, I think I tried to rescue her from from uh, nefarious trap. <laughs> oh yeah. Was... Ah, you like, tried to stop her being captured or something, or being thrown in the water. Was that yeah. what it was? I made the water rise up and drown her or something like that and drag her under. Yeah, she was doing like a photo her. shoot on the pier or something, wasn't she? Yeah, something that like. was it. Aye. Yeah. Um, and you failed to capture her, or to save her, sorry. Yeah, she just got more scared of me. She, you know, yeah. everything, oh, the monster's trying to attack her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I, well, maybe, maybe I mean, it was it probably was just that one game then, Joe, that I I kind of missed that a little bit, um, but yeah, I suppose it maybe would be more so in a more multiplayer game as well when you've got more than one goody sort of connection to menace as well. Yeah, it maybe come up, come up more, but uh, that is something that. Uh, yeah, maybe need to make sure that it went right up the next version to to make sure that's front and centre that people know that's what's to what's to focus on and what kind of uh, drives the the story. Yeah. Um, but but then again, you know, we, I think it worked. We got there in the end, and it was quite, yeah. It was a yeah. dramatic final battle, wasn't it? Yes. With the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it was a very good final battle. I yeah. I won, and I sort of came from behind to win as well. Spoilers: <laughs> you you won, but it was a pyrrhic victory, wasn't it? Because uh, J.R. Chewing had already killed Wilhelmina Fudge. Oh, yes. Didn't he? In the ultimate scene, he, he skewered her with an icy harpoon. <laughs> <laughs> was I drinking? I can't remember that. No. <laughs> you, you were the only one who wasn't drinking. You've got no excuse. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> oh, yeah, I drove over. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah, no, it was I. It was good fun. <laughs> Yeah, what else happened? Yeah, so yeah, so the system was all based on uh, poker hands. Yes. Uh-huh. I thought, uh, seeing as I'm terrible at poker and Colin plays poker, might have put me at a horrendous disadvantage. <laughs> and sure enough, I was. Um, and I did find myself a little bit early doors, sort of thinking, you know, I, I, I don't play poker. I was thinking, I don't know what kind of hand is good. This one looks quite rare. I'll I'll start I'll start betting my uh, betting my resource on this one. Yeah. Which I think is what is basically what poker is, <laughs> I suppose. 
Yeah, it's I I quite like it actually. I really like the the poker mechanic just because. Well, if you do know a bit about poker, you know that basically on a kind of ten to fifteen twenty hand poker game, it's more much more luck than skill. Um, and it comes down to I mean you're not like a really skillful poker player doesn't win a really short handed poker game mm-hmm. uh, more often than not certainly so. Yes, so still, it doesn't give that much of an advantage, but it makes you feel like you've got a bit of an advantage because there is some kind of skill in there as opposed to just drawing cards. So you can it's quite egg. nice having that there. Yeah, but you get extra sort of resource to uh, um, to, to to gamble away and extra cards uh, from bonuses from from your from your scores as you go through, depending on. Uh, how much justice there is in the world, or, yeah. or how much uh, disorder there is in the world, yeah. uh, and and things to do how powerful your character is at that given point, so it <laughs> becomes a, a, a an asymmetrical uh, poker game, which was yeah. really interesting. Playing, yeah. you know, trying to bluff someone with, uh, you know, Joe, uh, Joe, do you want to explain the uh, mechanic? Because uh, people out there will be going, "What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> how does it? How does the combat work?" Well, you've, you've summarised it. It is based on poker. It's like a Texas Hold'em style kind of mechanic, um, where based on your, your hero or villain's relative power level, their heroic level or threat level, that gives you your, your whole cards. It gives you how many cards you have in your hand, and then there are community cards laid out for each each round of the the conflict as it's going on, and then you make the best five card hand you can from that. But but it's possible to get your heroics up to um, I think what did I say I think it's like four or five I can't remember what I put the hard cap on I think it's like five so you could end up with five cards in your hand and then five cards to choose from mm-hmm. um, and they're also the mechanics all tie into that it's like a simplified version you don't have as many rounds of betting as you normally do in Texas Hold'em mm-hmm. and you just ante in your stakes rather than there being a big blind or a small blind um, and, and probably most importantly your resources just go down you can't you, so it will end relatively yeah. quickly each conflict but you don't get the other person's chips you just don't lose yours mm-hmm. and how did you start how did you determine the chips again I can't remember that now. Um, that, that's another one of your stats another one of your, your resource right. stats just called your pool so as you mm-hmm. as you develop that and get stronger you get more um, it would depend on what scene it is because some of the scenes if they're not directly against another character then you'll be using the the values for society based on how big the society is at that moment or how much disorder it's got so. yeah yeah I did I thought it worked well there was because it's a, it's a huge advantage to have an extra card and a hand of poker as well so it's quite it totally overrides any kind of knowledge of the game I guess yeah, I think so. So it can yeah, compensate for for lack of poker skill, but at the same time, you still do get to make a decision. Like if you get a bad hand, you know you got that. You, it's not it's not even a decision. You know to to throw that away with a, yeah. with a minimum bet. Yeah, um, and yeah you can, can still be a lot of bluffing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think okay, I'm. So uh, an end game end game comes when the size of society, which is the sort of what is it, law plus disorder. Yeah. Uh, just just uh, plus disorder. Now that can go down, which I think is maybe because uh, you can actually uh, shrink the amount of disorder, shrink the amount of law, and 
as as it benefits you, can't you? Yes, that is something that I'm, I'm going to look at. I'm not sure whether I like it. I wasn't quite happy that it can be a kind of a delaying tactic. Um, like I say, that's the end game trigger. Although you, I've said you can set a time limit as well, but that's the hard end game trigger that when society size reaches 10, that's when you have your final scenes. Um, so the fact that it's not just one way, like you say, it can go down and can be stalled, is, I don't know, something I've kind of tried to avoid in my other games, and I'm not really, mm -hmm. not really sold on that. So yeah. I might change it and change, maybe change the way that end game's determined. Um, or you could but, just, you know, just just increase the size of society when either of them go up, but if you're, but they don't, but the size doesn't go down when either of them go down, which makes it hard, slightly harder to count up, but mm, yeah, we'll still, we'll still bring the end game on, uh, probably in good time. Mm, possibly, but then there's still there's still a chance of a lot of scenes happening and and this, and not getting closer to end game. So mm -hmm. yes, that's something to to think about. Um, although we did although we did get the full game in, you know, we play game finished in what was it three hours four hours or something. So mm -hmm. so one more thing, you uh, gave yourself powers as they well say gave yourself, but you you give it the odd player. Uh, a kind of a neutral role to uh, to help or hinder either side and, and call up and introduce scenes that we have to that we have to play in. Yeah, that's it. Because I want because I thought it's important to have a a, a balanced number of, of heroes and villains competing against each other. Then if there's an odd player, they take on a, a facilitator role, which is closer to like a storyteller GM role. Really, um, but in that when it's their scene, they don't have a character, so they just pick one of the other characters and decide what scene they're having. Mm -hmm. um, I think you you took that on as a kind of a. I suppose you could use that as a uh, as a kind of a balancing role, but I think you sort of took it turn about in the end with us, and you you sort of chose a scene for each of us. I made you fight, I think. <laughs> you were avoiding each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's funny, actually. You kind of, as one of the players, you don't necessarily choose to do that as often as you probably would think. Or we didn't, anyway. I don't think I would. I would tend to go off and try and develop a story and stuff like that as opposed to just call a fight. Just because, you know, well, I, I suppose in any kind of games, I'm always a bit of a... Um, Turtle, or so I always build my base and build my resources and all that kind of stuff. Like when I'm playing anything, RTSs or whatever. So I suppose that's maybe how I play RPGs as well. I want to go away and build my stats and uh, you know develop the story before I actually do the battle. So yeah, I need somebody to kick you into gear to go and actually have that fight. Yeah, and I think that's what the facilitator role um, can support and work well for. In our case. Um, at the same time, yeah, like you say, it made sense for your character at that point. To, you, you were ahead then. You were doing quite well, I think. Like, society was doing badly early on. So yeah. I suppose Grant probably had more to gain from that, that fight. But at the same time, it was pretty dicey who would who would win. Yeah. I, think, uh, um, I should say, yeah. in the end, I did win. <laughs> <laughs> Only through some terrible card draws, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> I did win, and... Uh, 
the to- the it's not the Toxic Avenger, nothing like the Toxic Avenger. The Cactus Avenger did uh, return to the desert, uh, and growing next to him was a. Uh, he carried the, the body of Wilhelmina yeah. Fudge, didn't he? And yeah. Uh, the, the two two cacti grew in that particular patch of desert. Uh, the, <laughs> well, one of them looking a lot like Wilhelmina Fudge. Yeah. Together forever. Oh. That's a great ending. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was a terrible ending. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't control and destroy the city or anything. He'll be back, though, and EJ are chewing. His Absolutely. body was never found as he fell into the water. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Was there anything from that game that you changed, or did you get anything from it uh, in terms of playtesting feedback? Um, what I was saying about the end game, I think that's probably the biggest thing to change and make sure that the innocents are, are um, closer to the centre of the action. Um, but other than that, I, I still need a few more playtests. I think I've only played it a few times, and yeah. even a few few playtests that I've heard of online. So. <laughs> oh, some, some other people played it. Um, yeah, because when I wrote the game, it was for a well, it was for a competition, uh, like I said, that was hosted on the Forge originally. That was run by I think it was, uh, Joe Murphy and Graham Walmsley, who, who ran it. And um, Ron Edwards has picked up Pumpkin Bomb because he's a big superhero fan. Mm-hmm. He's gone into superheroes and he's he's run it. I think he's run it once. Um, or has he just read it through? Uh, anyway, he gave me a load of good feedback on it. On the forge, which is great, which led to like the current version, the second rewrite. We made a few tweaks, um, and now it's awaiting a few more playthroughs just to, to see if it, it works. I played it once with Matt and Dan as well ages ago, and stuff, and that was it worked quite well there. Um, but that made me almost think like the the scheme scenes that the the villain has um, when they're developing. You needed some sort of, of cap on the number of people that they can kill and stuff, because no, really? Dan was just like laying waste to half the city and stuff in those scenes. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we do think he took out like half of like the, the UN delegation. <laughs> <laughs> One of the scenes. It's a comic book, why not? <laughs> it was, yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. yeah. And it, yeah. So your Dan had all these like really high-powered nefarious plots, and Matt's power was was just that he could turn invisible. And he raised money doing charity jogs <laughs> invisibly. <laughs> <laughs> he runs at moderate speed. <laughs> but the, the final scene was from like Dan had this had taken over these uh, satellites in orbit and like fired this his massive death ray at Matt who like picked up a shiny bin lid and reflected it out <laughs> and just took him out. <laughs> Oh dear! <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it was great though. It was just yeah. oh, amazing. Um, yeah, so that's another one on the back burner that eventually I'll get round to to doing. But um, I'm, I'm pleased that you liked the actual mechanics, the actual conflict mechanics, the um, poker-based resolution, because mm-hmm. that was that's one goal for a lot of my RPGs. I think to have mechanics that are that are fun and that are meaningful and that feel like you've got a, a choice in it because a lot of times it just kind of degenerates into just use your optimal move and roll your dice and hope you roll well. Yeah. And, uh, I think anything that introduces something other than luck to uh, 
yeah, to the combat the combat mechanic to resolution in general is good. Even if, I mean, you've got to have a bit of luck in there, otherwise somebody gets really good at it and they always win. But yeah, poker is quite good in that way because having some skill does lend you an advantage, but it's definitely not a winning advantage every time. No, and it's just always the opportunity to bluff. That I like, even though it yeah. might not be a great strategy, but you've always got that option, which means technically you could always win any hand. Yeah, yeah. Whatever you get. Yeah, that's cool. So, do you plan to release Pumpkin Bomb as a proper book at some point? Um, that'd be nice one day. Yeah, I mean, it's not on the near horizon. I've got to enough stuff on already. Yeah. Yeah, one day. Definitely. Not a priority. <laughs> not a priority, unless it suddenly surges in popularity after our. Amazing podcast goes out. <laughs> so can, demanding, uh, demanding the final version of Pumpkin Bomb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, to do the promotion thing, uh, can people get it just now if they want it? Uh, yeah, you can get the current playtest version, which is on my uh, aging website, <laughs> princedarknessgames.com. I think it's just under the project section. It'll be far less aging if you just change the year to 2014. No, no, no. I know, but... <laughs> I like the tradition. <laughs> <laughs> it said 2011 for three years now. Why would I change it? <laughs> so it's become an institution. <laughs> cool. So they can go there and pick it up and uh, give us some feedback. That'd be cool. Yeah, get us on the normal channels, which you hear at the end of the show or on the show notes on our website. We're back, and uh, we're going to talk about numbers of players and how that's important in games. So we're going to give, an, as an example, just now, we'll talk about uh, our Triumph and Treachery uh, three-player Warhammer game. Uh, so, Joe, you bought the book. Yes. Uh, why don't you tell us what uh, Triumph and Treachery is? Well, Triumph and Treachery is very, very interesting, I think, because it takes Warhammer, and the, the popular fantasy battle game, probably the most popular fantasy battle game, tabletop in the world, and does what it's never done before, makes it um, a game that you can play with more than two sides. So instead of having yeah, one opponent taking on someone else, it adds that extra dimension into the mix where you can have three different armies, or even more, three, four, or I think it supports up to five different armies all versus each other, so not in alliances, um, but within the structure of, of the Warhammer rule set. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it's a pretty big thing because Warhammer takes so damn long that if you have three people in a room, you're not going to get three games where they can all play each other. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed, it's not generally a quick game. Although obviously, no. you can scale it down and play like a five hundred point or a thousand point game, but uh, even so, it does tend to to take a while. So, yeah. and or if there happens to be three of you, then yeah, normally one person's sitting out, or it has got to you know take over a couple of units in someone else's army. So. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. So. Okay, the question I had with Tramps from Treachery is, I'm going to jump in uh, yeah. and say the. The, the idea seems simple. So all you do is you create a couple of rules whereby um, you have three people on the table and you solve the immediate problem by saying you can only attack one 
army per turn. So that kind of gets rid of the uh, all the difficulty about splitting attacks. And well, it's one. It's one it's per, per phase, which per is phase, yeah. Per phase, yeah. Okay, yeah, fine. Uh, so you get rid of that straight away. But then, why did they not stop there? Why did they introduce all of the random card stuff and all that? Was that um, so they could charge? 40, 50 quid for it. Grand, let me finish. Was that so they can justify charging 40, 50 quid for it? <laughs> or was that actually some really thought through, <clears throat> excuse me, idea of adding to the mechanics of the game? Mm. I think there may be an element of, of that. Um, and I think, that, yeah, what, what you've said, the mechanic that you pointed out, that's the most important one. That's the one that kind of makes it function, that you can only target one opponent per yeah. phase. Yeah. Uh, but I think they, they were they were trying with some of the other mechanics. They were trying, which I don't, didn't quite come through in the game we had. But the idea with the card mechanics is to help the underdogs. Like if if you're start to lose in the game, then the idea is you get to draw more of these triumph and treachery cards, which give you a boost, just to help you kind of get back in the game. Um, but the but I didn't really get that because sure. you you draw more cards when you're not getting attacked. What, how did that? Am I missing? Was I missing something else there that uh, helped the underdog? Because that felt like it was helping the not underdog, the person that was adv had an, an advantage at the time. At the start of the turn, everyone, I think everyone gets two cards. Then if you're no, if you're winning, you get two cards. If you're not winning, you get three. And if you're losing, you get four cards. Something. So that's. Right. The okay. That you get if you're behind on victory points. Right. Okay. Well, the, right. Other, the other way to get cards in this sort of column thing is by uh, rolling a five or six when you're neutral. Yeah. So Which means not being picked on. Yep. Yeah. I never, I never so, got yeah, that was, very much. Does not? <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't every time, I suppose. But then, yeah. Okay. So, do you think that the cards added anything to strategy? Uh, other than randomness? Hmm, not particularly. There's a couple of cards. Yeah, a lot of the cards seemed almost worthless, like a lot of them just sat in our hands, and yeah. sometimes it was to do with the cards that we had, and it was a very I mean, it was a very low magic game, wasn't it? We only had... I, I had a level 2 spellcaster, Grant had a level 1, and Colin didn't have any spellcasters. And yeah. That was it. So there was a lot of treachery cards that affected magic that you know were never going to come into it. And then a lot of the other ones seemed some seemed very situational and not great, but then some seemed really good and really powerful, didn't they? Like the one that halved your charge range. Yeah, yeah. There was aye, there were some in the right situation yeah, were that. game changers. Yeah. I used that card to hold off an entire dwarf army. Yeah. With, with one unit of chosen with one small unit. Well, for a for a little time anyway. Yeah, till the goblin got there and beat you up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Well, do, I, I suppose we shouldn't talk about trying to treachery the whole time. But does that was that well in the context of the multiplayer game? Yeah. Were they were they just trying to get around the fact that a multiplayer game or an odd game does tend to always end up with two people ganging up on one person. Were they trying to combat that problem by just making it really random so that it was hard to do that? Or giving that yeah. one person that's ganged up on the chance to beat them because they've got these cards that can combat it? Yeah, I think I think that's what they're going for, the idea of the cards, that you can that you can do that, and the idea that you can try and 
make alliances and broker deals. And the other big thing um, that they've done is with the, the victory point tokens, because normally you, you wait to the end of the game to count up your victory points. But in Triumph and Treachery, you, you're giving them out as they're earned, so you've got a, a good idea of who's winning or who's on however many points. So I think the idea would be, like, if you look at that visually, you should be able to tell who needs to be picked on, because they're doing well. So if someone's getting getting smashed because they're but, but they're already behind, the idea would be like the players go, oh, well, you know, I could attack this person, but if I do, then you know, player sees who's already got more points than me is, is going to um, run away with the game. So I should actually go and focus on them instead, which I think makes makes sense, but doesn't completely, you know, solve the problem of of one person getting. You do, do get what what happened basically was um yeah I got ganged up on uh which was just kind of the inevitable um you know just the inevitable way it happened I deployed sort of in the corner did I deploy first you deployed first yeah yeah and then you sort of deployed either side of me fair enough and then you both started attacking me because I was the closest not opponent. <laughs> well, I, I suppose me and Colin, we, our forces were further apart from each other, so we couldn't yeah. really fight each other. Yeah. But there was no no other way for it to, to go, really, after, after well, that. Well, you still advanced with all your guys, though, Grant, even yeah. though you, you were kind of... You didn't hold back to see off one opponent, which I don't know if that, that might have worked, it might not have done, but you pretty much ignored Colin. You had one unit like facing off his army. Mm-hmm. And then most of your stuff had on us in the middle, and we had a fight in the middle. But Colin was left with not the dwarves. Most of the dwarves couldn't attack my guys, so they were just gonna go for you. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Was there a different way of, of doing it? Maybe I think maybe you, if you'd held back and kind of waited a bit, then maybe that would have worked. If I was racking up victory points in the middle, Colin would have to come and attack me. I think, yeah, I think yeah. one of the biggest problems with an odd uh, numbered game with Warhammer is the shape of the table. Mm. It's really hard to set people apart at sort of equal distances. Mm-hmm. Um, so we should have had a circular, a circular battlefield. <laughs> yeah, or at least a square one. <laughs> but yeah, I some mm. way to actually make everyone equidistant. And I mean, we, only I know had, we only had sort of 1,200 points worth each of army, so that wasn't actually undoable to play in a square. Yeah. Yeah, smaller square. Aye. Yeah, just four by four. Well, aye. I, have you guys ever played an odd-numbered game or even just a normal multiplayer game, four or five, whatever, where it doesn't end up being just a ganging up on one player at one point? Like Magic, obviously, is always like that. Sorry, go on. What were you going to say, Grant? Well, it's just yeah. Well, I think we're now getting into the wider, yeah, we're getting into the wider um, field of games where, and and this was the aim, I think, of of Triumph and Treachery was to turn this into a, a board to have a board board game style meta game, uh, in 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 Warhammer, but other games I think you know still do it better. If you look at, um, well, the the best the best game for uh, having a ganging up in a weird way. Is uh, I've never seen it work work like this in other games. Is pro ra- pro wrestling battle royal uh, coming to a Kickstarter near you near you soon? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but in that game, 
you will, if you have a multiplayer game, it's happened every time, you two players beat up on, on, on one player and basically get them down to nearly zero life. But the winner is the person who gets the pin. And there's none of this uh, fighting, fighting to, to the last man standing. Mm. You get you're getting the, the the person who gets the who gets the uh, uh, what do you call it damage get gets gets someone down to zero damage past zero damage. Yeah, or puts puts twelve damage on them. Yeah, that threshold. It yeah causes the pinfall. So suddenly it changes from everyone beating on this guy to like everyone's trying to change trying to save this guy so yeah. that they can pin him. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. you feel sort of put on at the start, but you know at some point it's all going to get turned around. Yeah, everyone starts sticking up for you. <laughs> yeah. So could you put that into Warhammer somehow? <laughs> into uh, Triumph and Treachery? So that, like, say that game there, Grant, you were getting, you were looking pretty, I mean, it was, it was pretty obvious you were the underdog by maybe turn two or three. So... It was the trolls what done it? Yeah, the trolls. Well, partly me. <laughs> so maybe if there was some way that some incentive for me to save you from Joe at that point, because there was no incentive at all. I I should have strategically, I should have sat in the corner while that fight played itself out, well, and then no, there is, there is an incentive because I was getting all those victory points. I was hooping for all the victory points for killing Grant's army. Like yeah, I killed if, that unit of warriors. Like if you'd charged it in the flank and his and his guys had held out for a turn, and then you'd broken them. Yeah. You would have got all the victory points. <clears throat> I'd have got nothing from that. No, but I mean that doesn't really matter because I could let you guys fight. You get all the victory points for his army. Fair enough. But then you're weakened. I swoop in, kill you, and it doesn't really matter what you've got. No, it does because you need to score more victory points than I've already scored. So it might it might even get to the point where it's not possible for you to kill enough of my army to yeah. get as many victory points as I've got. So well, it does make you play aggressively. You think the triumph and treachery rules. This is one of the big pro. This is one of the big questions about the triumph and treachery rules. It's not entirely clear whether you win. Where if if you get tabled, and you got no models left, can you still win because you have more victory points? And I think there's I think some debate as to that. But if everybody, if everybody's got the same points on the table. Um, even if you killed the whole of Grant's army, Joe, and then I killed the whole of your army, if I've not lost anything, then that's yeah, basically... killed two of my units whilst I was killing his army. Yeah. And Joe's built up hundreds and hundreds of, of victory points for... Because, remember, you earned victory points every, tur every turn that you had yeah. a unit on that yeah, hill. No, there's, I, no, I see what you mean. There's definitely... Yes, yeah, so you can't just sit and do absolutely nothing. But it's still... I can still see situations where it's to your advances to just let the other people fight away. Um, as long as you know you have got a few points in the bag. You're right, Joe, yeah, you can't sit and do nothing at all. But, yeah, you could you could definitely play a defensive game, I think, and, st and be strategic and still win the match. Mm -hmm. hmm, I think they've addressed that quite well. I think it'd be quite hard to play a defensive game and still win, you know. The way that Warhammer works, the way that you usually score points for, you know, breaking units and chasing them down. Mm. And you're not, remember, you're not, you're not scoring any points by keep, by keeping, by holding on to your points. Yeah. You're scoring, you're scoring points by killing. Yeah, that's the big change in Triumph and Treachery. Because yeah, in, in basically what you're saying, if it if it was scored like a normal Warhammer match, then definitely that would be the, the best option to hang back and preserve your points. Mm -hmm. But you get yeah. Like Grant says, you get nothing for preserving your points in Triumph and Treachery. It's all about what you take out, what you score. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, sorry. I that's I defensive game isn't exactly what I mean. I suppose I mean just waiting for the the other players to be weakened, so then you go in and attack at the end. Because yeah, you're right. You still have to kill everyone. But yeah, no, you're right. I I don't. I'd have to read the rules a bit more just to see. Because do you get more points for? You get you get points as well for the what do you call them the objectives and stuff like that as well, don't you? So you'd have to be careful with mm -hmm. it. Yeah, it's not as simple as as all that, I guess. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of different ways to sort of manage that meta game. There's the not having a last man standing is a good one. Secret, um, secret victory points is another good one. We don't know quite who's winning, so you don't yeah. know who to pick on. That's more <laughs> yeah. world. Yeah, small. It's, it's it's not exactly secret. Is if you can be bothered counting up what everyone's getting. Uh, yeah, but nobody in knows. The head. don't know exactly. Yeah, which which works well for for small world, I think, doesn't it? Because otherwise, it'd get to a point where you'd you'd know it was pointless, but you could spoil someone else's if you knew exactly what everyone was on. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. It's not some kind of king king making where you think, oh, I can't win the game, but I get I can decide who wins out of the two players. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was thinking of uh, Small World a lot in prep in uh, sort of thinking about this topic because mm -hmm. that's that another thing that it does well is if you do get stomped on early on, then you know you pick up a new race and you've actually got every every chance of because you. If you're beaten off the board first, then you're the first person to get the choice of races, of the new races. So you start again, and there's a bit of a sort. You can have a reversal of fortune that way um, by by coming on and and beasting everyone else off the board. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And you have a general idea of who's doing better, uh, so you you know who to pick on after that. Well, small well, words funny though because you can get a few turns where somebody gets like double figure points, and suddenly you think they're doing really well, even though actually they only got fives before, and somebody else was getting eights and nines and stuff like that. So it's a it's a funny one that. Mm -hmm. hmm. So I think what we're saying about about multiplayer games is about it's about managing the meta game, isn't it, and managing the the yeah. diplomacy and trying to have some sort of design that stops someone just totally getting picked on. The point of it not being fun, yeah, <laughs> some sort of comeback mechanics for the underdogs. Um. Absolutely, because I mean, we look back, we look back to our L five R three and four player games. It just went on, or even the magic, even playing Magic the Gathering. It seems yeah. to uh, when you're adding when, one more player to a Magic game, at least doubles the time it takes. Yeah, we're, we're playing we're playing four four player Magic games last year. They're going for two. Was it last last year? Yeah, this yeah. time about uh, winter last year, and it was taking um, uh, what two hours for a game? Yeah, yeah. Of magic. The thing that <laughs> do you know the thing that gets me about multiplayer magic games are that it, it's rarely I find there's rarely a clear uh, best choice. Like you're playing with four people. There's rarely a choice where you can say, right, I'm attacking you, and you know this is why. <laughs> it always just comes down to, oh, I'm going to toss a coin and attack you. I mean, sometimes there are definitely choices. Yeah, I'll, to I'll choices, toss, but... <laughs> toss a coin and attack Joe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> always attack Joe. <laughs> but you know, with with multiplayer magic, because it's kind of, it's always either just the strongest person or the weakest person or whatever. It's that there's never a kind of, I don't know. <laughs> It always feels like you're victimising somebody because there doesn't seem like there's a good reason for choosing them. <laughs> mm. I think that's when the turtling thing really does come in. Like multiplayer magic, it generally is best to, 
sit back and you build your resources up. Don't piss anyone off. Don't yeah. get into a petty war with anyone yeah. else. Wait for the other players to do that, and then you can. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Try and not say anything. Keep silent. Nobody will notice. Yeah. <laughs> so it just occurred to me. I was thinking um, the triumph and treachery thing, like trying to change the objectives to make it so that it's not just a free for all. Maybe makes it a bit more balanced. And I know it's not the best game by any means, but Risk does it quite well when you actually play the uh, the more what is it? I don't know can't remember whether it's the more advanced or the less advanced. But when you have the objective yeah, that's cards, the more advanced one that's that's an updated one. I think that's like a slight a tweak to the original Risk. Is it the advanced? Yeah. Try and get rid of that problem of someone just grabs Australia and hangs yeah, on. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, if, if anybody's not played Risk, basically you get a set of cards which have lots of different objectives on them, stuff like um, hold uh, Asia and, uh, what do you call it, uh, South America, say, for a turn, or kill the black uh, players or kill the white players, whatever. Um, you know, there's there's objectives that you can achieve. But that's their tokens, not their actual race. Oh, probably. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know why I chose those colours. Uh, <laughs> um, aye, so you've got objectives rather than just trying to take over the world. And it makes it more interesting because you don't know what other people are trying to do. And it makes people's play styles much more different, doesn't it? Because you're not just trying to be safe. You're trying to cross the world and like kill this the red players or whatever. Yeah, I think that, that's quite a good a good fix to some of the ingrained problems that were, that were there in the first early versions of Risk. That mm -hmm. totally changes it. And like you say, yeah, you have to kind of second guess what other people are trying to do as well to try and stop. Yeah, them. yeah. Do you know, uh, Ank Morpork does that really as well, well as well. Actually, it's got about seven or eight different objectives, and there's some of them. There's a couple that are quite unique, uh, which you can spot maybe a bit easier than others. But then there's about three or four which are all kind of similar, but not quite the same. And it's really interesting because you do spend most of the game trying to guess what the other people are doing. And you end up. You can bluff it as well. Yeah, totally. Aye, and it's it makes the it makes a big difference to. I don't know if it made that much of a difference when there was only two of us, but when there was three of us playing, it was much much more interesting because you're trying to guess what two different people are doing, especially when they're playing against each other as well, and mm. that really helped the game, I think. Good point. Well, we should probably move on to to two player games then, and we've kind of been talking about Warhammer and talking about Magic. And you talk about a the difference there in uh, Ankh Morpork, and I think two-player games, even or two-player poker, even talking about Texas Hold'em, heads, you know, heads up, it's it's a different environment, isn't it? It's it is just one-on-one. -on -one. It's just you and one of the one of the guy. There's you lose that diplomacy yeah. element, don't you? So it, um, from a games design point of view, I think that those kind of games have to be uh, more finely balanced. You can't get away with the meta game picking up the slack. The same <laughs> yeah. <way> you can. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, like like you say, you can just replace replace the any any almost any balance eventually with with uh, with uh, just the meta game and multiplayers. Yeah. Are there? Can you name a game which is better in two player than three or four or five? That's Warhammer. Well, yeah, that's, that's arguable, isn't it? And uh, it depends what you mean by by better as well. A lot of people who play Magic will only play it two player. Will only do the classic duel if you if you take it seriously. You know, yeah. they're only they're only interested in the. the okay, by player. by better I mean more fun. 
more fun. Ah. Uh, <laughs> then, then you're depending on social dynamic more uh, than than the game itself, aren't you? Yeah, I and it's hard. It's hard, isn't it? Because it's if there was more than two of you there, it would be kind of awkward to play a two-player game in a way. No, I, well, I, the reason I ask is because just about all of the games that we play regularly, um, you can play them two-player, but we always end up playing a multiplayer, partly because we want to involve everyone, but partly because I think they're more fun when we're all playing together. Like, There's a reason we play four-player magic as opposed to two of us one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. Two groups of one-on-one, -on -one, I mean. I think they're better game. It's a better game one-on-one, uh, -on -one unless uh, yeah, I think it's a better game one-on-one -on -one magic. It sort of fits into the time that you kind of want for it. Yeah, I bet you it's a better game. Well, I agree, it's a better game strategically and kind of if you're mm. talking about pure skill and winning the game, but it's more fun and interesting with mm. more players. I, I would think. Say, well, after an hour and twenty minutes, it starts <laughs> to grind a little bit. <laughs> That's it. It's it's the trade-off. I think mm, it's an interesting point, Carl. I think it is probably more down to the social dynamic, yeah. though, isn't it? That yeah, just, yeah, just no, more people, so you're getting a bit more banter and a bit more chat in a multiplayer game. Yeah. Um, I, I want I want to play more multiplayer games. I mean, playing Ankh-Morpork Pork uh, recently really, uh, really made me realise how much. We kind of we kind of miss us sometimes when when we're playing uh, two player games, but we're, we've got teams. It's it's not the same. It, you are just playing. It is just a two player game with 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 teams. And, yeah, but uh, that's, that's that's a good counterpoint. Then, yeah. So I would say a two player game with teams is as much fun as a multiplayer game for something like Warhammer. Anyway, and probably for Magic, to be honest, if you're playing teams. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I would. Say, I I agree with that. Actually, yeah, Magic would probably be better with two on two. Uh, yeah, I think actually it was Ankh Morpork that I was thinking of then prim primarily because we played uh, a couple of games. We played probably two or three games, just the two of us, didn't we, Grant? A few weeks yep. ago, or a few months ago even. Uh, and then more recently, with the th we played with Dylan as well as a three-player game, and I think it was noticeably more interesting and I don't think I could be wrong but I don't think it was just because it was one other person to chat to I think the game worked better absolutely I totally agree it was a far better game uh, far better yeah it was a far better it was, it was fun with two players but you could I could tell having played those couple of games well a third player would really uh, having having one more secret uh, yeah, to deal yeah. with made it exponentially more fun. Yeah, and just one more colour on the board, you know, because you're kind of competing for areas on the board, if there's just one other person there to worry about, it's quite, it's not exactly straightforward, but it definitely adds more complication. It's all, so there's a bit more strategy worrying about this other colour on the board taking over the places too. And I, I agree, it, it, it doesn't work for all games. You're right, Warhammer's better as a two-player game, but yeah, just interesting. Indeed, yeah. I think it, as well, if, if you're taking it more seriously, you know, more competitively, it'll tend to be two-player games and things you think of. Yeah. It's not that many sports that have more than two sides. Even when it's teams competing, it generally is two teams, isn't there? Mm -hmm. There's not many that have, not many competitive game environments that have uh, three or more teams, apart from <laughs> wrestling, of course. <laughs> well, any uh, lot of endurance sports where you've just got uh, you have multiple teams, well, you know, athletic sports where you just yeah, they're individual racing. Uh, I see that or team racing events. 
I suppose yeah, racing yeah. and things like that. But they're not. Um, there are not many. I mean, there's, there's those BMX races from the Olympics where it's, but literally anyone could win it because you have so many people close together. There will be a crash, and whoever was some distance behind that pack will win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. Well, you're not in direct competition. You're not, you can't... Uh, how can I explain this? And so if you're all trying to do the same thing in that, whereas I'm talking about a confrontational game where if one side's ahead, the other side has to necessarily be you know behind like football or something so you yeah. have one team that's trying to beat another team I don't know yeah that's, See, that, well. that's funny though going <laughs> into that's going into the psychology of competition and stuff like that because that's I mm. I am not sure whether I really I I feel I think I'm competitive I definitely feel like I'm a competitive person but I don't particularly enjoy one-on-one -on -one competition because I'm not confrontational <laughs> so there's a different thing. Like I'm happy to like race in a group or to play a three or four player game, and I really want to win it, and I'll play to win. But I don't enjoy the confrontation of just playing one on one. Um, the kind of the friction and the aggression and all that kind of stuff that comes into it. So it's kind of a funny. I don't think it's fun to play one on one as much, maybe because of that. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, and that does. I suppose that does come up from time to time. And I wonder if that's also a byproduct of, of if people, you know, the more seriously you want to take some take a game, then it is generally one on one just to prove who's mm. the who's the best. Who's yeah. The best. Yeah, and it probably it probably comes down to skill more one on one, doesn't it? Because you don't have this third person that might, or you don't have the ganging up that you can possibly count it yeah. as a a team thing. If you don't think meta game is a skill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, what was I saying? I'd like to go back to balance because I, I made a statement earlier on, which I'm, I might have to retract slightly. I don't know. If you, do you need uh, <laughs> do you need to have balance in a two-player game? Um, I think it'd be pretty dull if it was unbalanced, wouldn't it? Oh, I don't know. Space Hulk is quite a lot of the Space Hulk missions are definitely unbalanced, and the challenge is just to see can you get over the imbalance. To win, mm, I I uh, I don't think uh, I think Space Hulk's not supposed to be imbalanced. It's supposed to be symmetrically balanced. Well, I've been playing it to death on the computer, and I don't find it unbalanced. I think every mission's winnable as the Marines, definitely. Even the first mission. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe that's the little bad AI of the computer, but it, no, it is winnable. I mean, yeah, it does come down to a bit of luck. I think there's a difference there, Joe. Something being winnable and balanced. I mean, if it's balanced, you should be able to win 50 50 of the time, but then that makes quite an easy game, I guess, doesn't it? Especially if you're playing against the computer. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. We'll have to yeah, do crunch more numbers on Facebook <laughs> or play it some more or something. Because def I know in, in, it definitely feels like it's skewed towards the gene stealers first few times you play, but then I think once you know. How to use the Marines, and with a bit of luck, you can set up fire corridors to a point where most missions you can win reasonably comfortably. Well, not comfortably, but you can get to a position where you can usually hold the Genius Steelers off bar in like very bad luck. Mm. I think it's the thing with yeah, and that's the point where you're where you're. And the first mission, yeah, it's it's. I think you need to know part of it and just remember to keep 
using the flame. You only need one shot for the final room, so you just use it to clear the way and use it to hold the stealers back to get in position. But, yeah, it comes down to scenario design, and when you're playing very scenario-based games... Um, well, think back to our, our that one game, Sedition Wars, we played, Joe. It wasn't hmm. that I'm a better player or anything like that. Uh, probably am, because I played it and you hadn't. But the main the main thing that came up with that one game we were talking about in the, in the, the last episode we were on, um, I knew the scenario better. Because I knew the scenario better. I, I, it wasn't the scenario. You knew the rules better. Yeah. It wasn't. That, I, I knew the objective for that scenario, but it was it was one of the kind of quirks of the rules. Oh, where you can actually move through you to win it so easily. Yeah. Move through diagonals. Yeah, that you can move through diagonals, and you can make my guys move out the way. Aye. By triggering their reactions. Yeah, that's true. So I, yeah, that's knowing the rules really. Yeah. But but I think. Um, there's something like Dwarf King's Hold, uh, where that that's a fairly similar game actually, uh, where you have a lot. It's based entirely on scenarios. Um, I've heard that, uh, Jake Thornton, the design of that, saying you know, he doesn't mind that that the scenarios are unbalanced. Sometimes it's just sort of finding un unlocking the strategy for for a certain side that will uh, for a certain faction. Uh, well, one one of the other sides in the scenario that will that will win it, hmm. uh, and you might have four or five fun games while you're both trying to work out, you're almost trying to work out who does have the advantage of the scenario. It might not instantly be uh, uh, obvious who who which which side is the better in any particular scenario. Yeah. I think I think you're right, Grant. You can have two-player games which don't have to be balanced, and it can be fun anyway. But it just depends that it's uh, it's couched that way. So you're told, like with Space Hulk, you're right. That's I've always been told that the Space Marines are uh, at a disadvantage. So you're unlikely to win this, but it's good fun trying. So as long as you know that in advance, it's all good. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the theme of the game, isn't it? I suppose. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. You're supposed to think that. You're supposed to feel. Terrified on this alien vessel, yeah. by countless. And it's certainly the case for for historical gaming, where where people will line up the forces as accurately as they they can. Say historical war gaming, line up line up the uh, the two armies as they as they were on the day of the battle that actually happened, and they they won't care if it's unbalanced. They'll they'll just play it out and and and. Play out, play out the battle as, as well as it may have happened. They'll maybe make different decisions. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of Warhammer scenarios like that, aren't there? I mean, you've got mm. scenarios where you start with a lot less points, or you know, one team has to hold a hill surrounded by massive forces, or you know, one team's fleeing and they have to flee through the lines of another, and they're quite good fun, even though one team's obviously stronger than the other. Mm -hmm. But I think the, usually it's kind of Usually, there's some sort of balancing factor. Like it's easier to get to break through the. You know, you might have a smaller force, but all you have to do is get. You have to achieve less. You yeah. don't have to kill yeah. kill the uh, kill the entire opposition yeah. army. You just have to break one unit through the lines. Yeah, that's uh, true. Which, I think. Um, I think you hit on a, a good point. Before someone just crystallised in my mind, I think it's it's oh, it is okay for two player games to be 
unbalanced as long as you're informed of that, as long as you know that going in and stuff. So maybe it's just about full disclosure, like this scenario is puts this team at a disadvantage or this is the theme of it. So you know what you're expecting from the game. Because I suppose like usually if you're going into a two player game, you're expecting it to be balanced, you expect it to be like roughly fifty fifty chance of, of winning given, you know, the equivalent look and skill. Um yeah, so it feels okay. fair. Yeah, yeah, but it's okay to design something that's not like that. But you really need to let the players know that, let them know what they're in for mm. before kicking off. Um, because you, you could get around it, like say, if there's a meta game, if there's more players, that would compensate for that, that lack of balance. But if it is skewed in one person's favour against one other opponent, then. Uh, yeah, it's, it's unlikely to be fun if if you didn't realise that going into the, the underdog side. Yeah. <laughs> Should we maybe go completely off the other end of the scale? Uh, mass- <laughs> call it massively multiplayer, although it's... Uh, sorry, does anyone want to say more about two-player games? No, all um, good. No, I think we'll wrap, wrap okay. it up there. Um, right, how about huge games? What's the biggest game... We've played in. The we've played in particular. Well, I've, I mean, I've played Warcraft, whatever they're called, <laughs> World mm-hmm. of Warhammer, uh, Warcraft. Sorry, mm-hmm. uh, but is that what you're talking about, or do you mean more? Well, the tabletop? the real extreme, yeah. But I was thinking, once you get into games of eight or so players, um, so in, in terms of tabletop games, what's the biggest? What's the biggest games we've played? I've probably not played a board game or similar with more than four or five people. Mm-hmm. How many people did we have playing when when I met met the guys from Aberdeen that first time we were, when you we were playing uh, pro wrestling? Mm. Was it four of them and? Oh, I think that was five. Three of us. Five. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we were playing as well. well. Yeah, that was quite big. I think it was up to six or seven. Mm-hmm. It was probably slightly too many for the game. The games mm-hmm. were only designed to support up to six players, and I think we broke it slightly, so it's probably seven. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think you're right. I, yeah, I was saying earlier, I think I enjoy multiplayer games more, but you're right, if it's uh, way too many people, then struggles a bit. Point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, have either of you played uh, Werewolf? I hear a lot about that as a kind of a party game. Oh, yeah, I run that at work, actually, as a training exercise. It was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> Run that on like our development day and stuff, but I did my own twist on it. So of course, yeah. So they were all um, villagers at this on this uh, unnamed Scottish island, um, but because of of where I work, like everyone had their occupation, and then most of them, I had, they had a choice. You could choose your occupation, and then it had like. Um, a problem or a mental health issue or a difficulty in your life or something that was going on. So they gave the character a bit like that. But for a couple of them, it just said, you are a werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> At night time, you kill another one of the villagers. <laughs> so it all played out of that. And I didn't really, I didn't explain the game beforehand. I've just like had these meetings and stuff. And I said, oh, you know, we found sheep being killed and then the villagers started disappearing one by one. It's like being killed by a werewolf. And like, I was... Kind of did you explain that there were going to be were- did you, sorry? Did you explain that there were going to be werewolves to the people who are werewolves? Uh, no, it just said that on their card, so they didn't know until <laughs> the game had started. 
See, so everyone was like, go, it was like going to see Dust Till Dawn without knowing there's vampires in it. Uh, <laughs> a bit at work, and I suppose I ran. Must have run that for about ten people. Yeah. So that's probably one of the big. That's probably one of the biggest games that I've played in. Weirdly. <laughs> <laughs> that was great, but they were all they were all too nice, and they didn't lynch anyone. They just couldn't agree on lynching anyone, anyone. So eventually, the werewolves just wiped everybody out. <laughs> <laughs> Did everyone learn a lesson? <laughs> Always lynch people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I've, I I can't add much to that because I've not. I don't think I played more than board games with just yeah four or five people. Well, you're saying about the the playing playing World of Warcraft call. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose I, I briefly played because there's a weekend where you could play it for free. Uh, playing with the the Star Wars Morpig. Yeah. And. I found that I was just playing it as a single-player game because it gets to the point when you have so many players, mm. they might as well who who you don't know, yeah. that you might as well be playing the computer. You feel it feels quite lonely. Yeah, I suppose yeah. I didn't get into this whole because it was just a weekend. I didn't really get into the whole um, what do you call it? Social yeah. scene, mm. the guilds yeah. and things like yeah. that. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, I I mean, I played it up to level, what, 40, 50, so reasonably Pretty high, awesome. uh, and Dylan got up to blue in 70 or 80, he got up to ridiculous levels, even the expansion levels, I think, was it 60 at the base, yeah. and then he got up to 70 no, or 80? 40, I think, but then they extended oh, something like that. Right. I can't remember now, it's years ago now, but he he got to the highest you could get in the base, certainly, and I think 10 beyond on the base, on the expansion, and basically neither of us were involved in any of the guild stuff. We played together quite a bit, so it was just a two-player game, going on quests and things like that. I think that improves it, that must have improved it quite a lot, because when I played it, it was just yeah. on my own, but if you've you you know, if you've got a buddy with you, it does make yeah. it a bit more interesting. Oh, I, yeah, that was the only reason we played it so long, I think, because um, yeah, it was just kind of, we'd meet up and... We were, we were living in the same flat at that point, so we were just like bored of an evening. Do you want to jump on Warcraft and kill some goblins? <laughs> I think that was the only thing that made it bearable, because we'd have a beer and just sit and play around. Uh, but it's called most massive multiplayer, but as you said, for you it was a two-player game, or if you have yeah, a guild of yeah. eight people, it becomes an eight-player game. Yeah. But then the guilds, I mean, people do play that game and end up as the president of a guild of hundreds of players. And it is actually a proper community. It's a proper life that they have in there. Uh, leading folk and having secretaries and, you know, all this kind of, it's like, it turns into a proper social club. Um, and I mean, that, that's, that's probably less about the game and more just about community and social uh, interactions and all that kind of stuff. So it's probably not really in the context of what we're talking about just now. But yeah, it's interesting how. Yeah. Just I don't. Th- yeah. But you wind I, up losing bits, I suppose. I mean, in your werewolf game, Joe, was everyone was everyone interacting? We talk yeah. about ten people. Yeah. 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 So it really was ten ten people interacting. Yeah, and even even the people who you know was unfortunate enough. In fact, it was our in fact it was our, our manager, obviously, like the service manager who got killed off the first night before <laughs> anyone knew there was werewolves. About. But even he like, enjoyed the game because then he just got to watch, so he like knew who who everyone was and who the werewolves were, and just kind of <laughs> watched like quite despairingly as the whole village just sits by <laughs> getting slaughtered, <laughs> unwilling to take 
<laughs> to do even try, but they didn't want to kill the wrong person. So at least they didn't mention any innocent. <laughs> yeah. What about uh, okay. Joe? What have you ever played? I think I've asked you this before, but I can't remember your answer. Have you ever played a LARP? Uh, yeah, I've played a few LARPs in my time. They must have quite a lot of folk in them. Yes, they certainly do. Yeah, I went to the. I mean, I've not been for a long, long time, but when I was sixteen, I went to the Gathering, uh-huh. which was like was like one of the biggest LARP events. It's been going for years and stuff in a big field and. Uh, yeah, there's thousands of people at that, and they're all, all aligned to different factions. And then the last day is like a three-day event, and the last day is always a huge battle, which depends on what alliances have been brokered, I think, as to where the factions fight and line up and smack each other with, with both weapons and things. <laughs> Throw tennis balls at each other. Yeah. So <laughs> that, it was, and it's kind of like a camping in costume, but a lot of the time... Well, generally, my experience with every LARP I've been in, where there's lots of players, is like, if you don't know the people organising it, you won't get to do anything interesting. Okay, okay. <laughs> <Generally>. <laughs> well, so again, there's basically a Say that again, Joe, I didn't catch sorry, that. Sorry, right. No, sorry, it's me talking over you, so, uh, sorry, say, yeah, say that again. I'm just saying that basically you you feel like an extra. You're like an NPC in All most right. laps I've played in like that. You 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 know you're kind of limited in what you can actually make happen, and there's supposed to be plots going on, but they're all uh, I don't know. The bigger ones especially do have felt slightly disorganised and hard to. It felt like there's a core of people who are kind of in the inner circle who get into have a plot and get into do interesting things, and then the rest of you kind of mill about talking in character. Yeah, that's a Getting drunk. Yeah, that's the meta game there. <laughs> yeah. Well, that I mean, that, I suppose that's a good example of big games. How big games probably are really hard to make work because it must be impossible to make it so that a hundred people can all be involved in plot and story and actually make a difference to the game. I can't imagine how you'd even manage that. Yeah. I don't know how you do. You'd have to break it down and have like lap centurions or something or people responsible for so many smaller groups but yeah you know, need so much money and so much organization yeah so yeah. you're just relying on people to make their own fun and role play their own characters and yeah that is, is amusing to a certain extent that you just go and meet all these strange characters and play your own strange <laughs> character and yeah chat but uh, <laughs> oh well yeah. so we've decided so like like our games don't work yeah <laughs> <laughs> Or they do wind up having to fracture just just from just from the practicality, and that you don't you know you don't interact with a thousand people you you interact with the few who are around you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, guys. Um, at that point, I think we will go on to talking about uh, single-player games, solo games. But uh, given the time, uh, we'll just uh, maybe save that till another time uh, yes. to, do it, to do it proper. Yeah. Be good to talk about the Skull Takers. And uh, I've just admitted to everyone that I've not managed to play it yet. So I'm going to ha- make an effort to have a go at it before the next episode and uh, have a proper conversation. Have you read the rules? 
Nope, not even looked at it. They're pretty sure. They're pretty sure. I'll, I'll plug it. It is on my website as well. If you venture onto printstartnessgames.com, I think there's a link to it from the front page and also on the project. So, uh, if any of our avid listeners want to give it a go as well, you don't need tarot cards. You can use a regular deck and a d20, yeah, like I did. So, oh, did you? I was going to ask about that. Oh, yeah, you, you already told me that. I'd forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Yeah, that'd be good, actually. That'd be awesome, actually. We've got some feedback from some people that have played it. Yes, if you're out there, please, please, please download it and have a go and then send us in an audio comment. Record yourself um, with a little bit of, like, two or three minutes of feedback on sort of the Skull Takers, and it'd be great to play on the podcast. It'd be good to get some other voices yeah. on. Or to read out some journal entries as well. That'd be good yeah. to hear. Yeah, that'd be yeah, good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> actually, do you know what? I've set up, uh, I should mention this, I've set up SpeakPipe on the website, so you can actually leave us a voice message on the website. Just go to DysonWoodDesign.com uh, and there's a little tab on the side of the site which says leave us a voice message. All you have to do is click that, um, have a, a microphone of some sort set up, anything at all, uh, and you can record something straight in and I'll send it to us. Yeah, there are so many ways to get in contact with us now. We are Indeed. all connected. Why don't we go through some of those, Cole? <laughs> okay, dokes. So you can get us on Twitter at Grant Sensei, at GamerColin, at Joe J. Prince, isn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, we've got one, I'll not read out all the email addresses as usual, it's just podcast at DysonWithDesign.com uh, Google Plus, we're enjoying our Google Plus page so just go on there, search for Dicing with Design and leave a comment on there uh, or Facebook, Grant, you just set up a Facebook page didn't you? Uh, yep, set up a Facebook page, uh, everyone I think there's one person we don't know on there, but uh, <laughs> I think the main, the main thing, people seem to be uh, following us on Twitter uh, Cool, do you know we uh, should just choose one, shouldn't we? It's all very confusing having all this nonsense. We have a show to Twitter at DWD Podcast. <laughs> Perfect. Let's just say that from now on. <laughs> we could do yeah. Twitter and Facebook. That would do it. Eh? Just the two. Just the two. Oh, no, we want to keep Google Plus. Google Plus is good. That is good, actually. It's really good. It's, uh, it's good I'm for sharing photos Plus. and videos and, and stuff, which obviously you can do on Facebook. But yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I try to uh, post on uh, Facebook and Google Plus using a special app with uh -huh. all my technological wizardry uh, whenever I whenever I put stuff out. So uh, yeah, you shouldn't lose out if you go on to Facebook or Google Plus. But Twitter's the main thing, I think. Cool. Yeah, and iTunes review, please, please, iTunes reviews. Tell you what, you can get a free copy of Skull Takers and Pumpkin Bomb <laughs> worth. Hundreds of no pounds if you leave us an iTunes review. Yep. Got a signed, <laughs> signed copy. You can have a signed copy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. I'll have to post it out. So. Yeah. Ah, that's brilliant. Yeah. So if you leave an iTunes review, which will cost you two minutes of your time, you'll force Joe to walk to the post office. <laughs> and that'd be awesome. I'd enjoy watching that. <laughs> cool. So that's. <laughs> That's, that'll be us. Uh, thanks for listening, guys, and uh, can't wait to see you again. Bye bye. Yeah. Thanks, folks. Cheers. Adios. Bye.